Welcome to Soulmates and Smut. I'm Loz. The world of romance entertainment is marketed predominantly to women, and yet it's often seen as less than real art. I've certainly avoided it for most of my life, but COVID lockdowns saw me reflecting on that, and now I'm making up for lost time. And I'm Em. I'm a lifelong lover of the genre. So I know it's possible to love something not in spite of its tropes, but because of them. Whether romance is your secret pleasure, or you proudly devour all the new releases, join us as we discover, celebrate, and often disagree about the movies and books of this complex, spicy, misunderstood, and yet deeply satisfying genre. Hi, Em. Hey, Loz. How are you today? Because we were supposed to record yesterday, but I messaged you in the morning to tell you that I was in a bad mood and could we postpone? Yeah. And look, I was quite happy with that because I stayed up till about 2.30 reading a book, (laughs) stupidly. And then, yeah, my period's due at the moment. So I'm quite irritable. I was not in a good place yesterday. Nothing in particular had happened. I was just in a bad mood. So I am very sensitive to the fact today if you are in a bad mood, I got you. This podcast could go anyway today. We'll just wait and see. Well, why don't we get into it? We are reviewing Last Night by Vari McFarlane, also released as Just Last Night. So the book with two names. I don't know why that feels really annoying to me. So maybe I'm not fully over my bad mood. (laughs) (laughs) Vari is a Scottish writer. She is around our age. Like I think she's in her late 30s, early 40s. Her writing feels very relevant to me. And of course, I only discovered her because of you. Yeah, she's probably one of my favorite authors. I have actually pretty much read all her books up until 2am. She's a a 2am finishing author for me. So yeah, I was pretty excited to recommend Last Night to you first, I think. And then you went and read all of the back catalogue after that. Yeah, it is absolutely safe to say that I am a Vari stan. Yeah, you are. This book, this author, one of the reasons why this podcast exists today, because I was having big visceral reactions to reading their work. And you and I have pages of texts where I've read a book and you're getting all my reactions and then you're giving me more recommendations and I'm falling in love with these writers and with these characters and with this genre. In particular, your reaction to Vari's novels was pretty huge. Everything about Vari's writing felt familiar but modern and smart. In Vari's books, her female characters always feel like they have way more control of their lives. She tends to write female characters that are a bit older as well. In older in sense, like mostly in their 30s, mm-hmm. where a lot of chick lit books and romance books, often these women can be in their early 20s. So Vari's characters are a little bit more mature and I do appreciate that. Totally. It's really nice to read older characters like life continues and perhaps even gets better into your 30s and 40s. And people can still fall in love in their 30s and 40s. You mean we're not already just dried up husks of human beings? No. Let's do a little synopsis. There is no way for us to talk about this book without giving massive spoilers. However, if you haven't read the book, still read it anyway, because the writing is beautiful and you shouldn't miss it. This book is about a friendship group of four people, Eve, Susie, Justin, and Ed. They met when they were teenagers and their friendship has survived till they're all 34 jobs, life. They've all come back to Nottingham where they live in the UK. More often than not, they do a pub quiz every week. Eve is our main character. We see this story through her eyes. Eve has been secretly in love with Ed since she was 18. That's really how the book starts. What happens is they all go for their night out at the pub quiz. Susie gets hit by a car and dies. And so this is a book of discovery, grief, love. The book wasn't what I was expecting and not necessarily in a bad way, just from the title, the synopsis, the book cover, and even the tagline like is two best friends, one missed chance, a night that changes everything. 
it threw me the book, to be honest. I did not see a lot of this book coming. Expected it to be a romance book, but it's really not. This is a book that has romance in it, but it is absolutely not about romance. This is a book that is about the power of female friendships and dealing with overwhelming grief and how it changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. And if you are going into this expecting a cutesy romance, that is not what this book is. I would probably classify this book more as women's fiction. Why would it be categorized as women's fiction? Oh, because we uh, have the point of view of a woman and we're talking about our emotions. Get fucked. Mm -hmm. Don't get me started. I'm already fired up. We have this friendship group, even Susie are best friends, Ed and Justin are best friends, but it's an interesting group. They came together in their last year of high school Mm -hmm. and they've really stayed as this quartet ever since, but they are all very, very different. So Eve, our protagonist, she is, I think, described as a little goth doll with sad eyes. She's a writer because of course she is. They all are. (laughs) If you are a female character in romance entertainment, you are a writer. Who wants better things for themselves. She's in a mediocre job at a mediocre company. However, what I like about Vari, Eve owns her own house. She has a mortgage. She's just middling. Mm -hmm. She has a middling job. She has a middling house. She has a middling life. But she has a stripy cat named Roger, so she's winning. (laughs) Eve has been in love with Ed, one of her best friends since she was 18. Yeah, this is a big part of the book, Eve's love for Ed. We talk about romance tropes, right? Ed is her unrequited love. So he is the guy that we see from the beginning that she's supposed to end up with, right? Yeah. And look, I think this is a really important part of Vari's books sometimes. She will tether on a trope, but not fully go there. Ed is the tall, handsome, sporty Prince Charming. He's a teacher. He's caring. He's thoughtful. So Susie is Eve's best friend and they could not be more different from each other. Susie is tall and beautiful and smart and rich and confident and outgoing, but they complement each other. And they've been best friends since primary school. So they've been through everything together. They're as close as sisters. And then we have Justin. So Justin and Ed were best friends. And Justin is gay, works at an aged care facility. He is brash. And him and Susie have a real connection because she's also loud and outgoing. And I feel like Justin isn't explored enough. He's a character I would have liked to have seen more of in a sense. And as you talk about how Vari plays with tropes, Justin is the sassy gay best friend. At first I was like, he's the sidekick. He's there for comedic value. But he has depth and we get a glimpse glimmer of his death. And you get the impression that even Justin were never the top tier. So for Eve, it would go Susie, then Ed, then Justin in her rankings of her three best friends. I think that in a way is why we don't get a lot of depth for Justin, because Justin and Eve's friendship isn't as close as Eve with the others. So that's how we meet them. They have the beautiful banter that I love from UK and Irish writers, literally laugh out loud writing. Mm-hmm. Her writing is amazing. It's very fast, intertwined with pop culture, references from past and present and hilarious. We meet them for the first time. We get to know them when they are at their pub quiz on a regular Thursday night. Yeah, and this is very relatable. Like who doesn't love going to a trivia night with friends at a local pub? Yes, you understand the banter. I felt like I was friends with them immediately. Yeah, it's great. So the the night kind of spirals. Ed has a long-term girlfriend. She's been elsewhere and so she turns up a bit late and she's kind of on the bit of the outer of this four. And you can tell Eve doesn't like her, obviously, because she's in love with Ed. But you can also tell that Justin and Susie aren't fans of her either. And you can tell that her, Hester is her name, is not a fan of theirs. They're all in the pub together in their foursome, having their banter, going back and forth. And then she walks in, the tone of the writing changes. You feel how icy it suddenly gets. Justin, Susie and Eve are all sharing looks over the tops of their drinks. I immediately was like, okay, we have the villain girlfriend has arrived. Yeah, absolutely. And Hester's not stupid. So she has a brilliant idea. She takes over the trivia, takes the microphone, 
and proposes to Ed and he accepts. They've been together forever since they were 18. And so it turns into a celebration, you know, champagne is bought. It's fake congratulations and fake cheers. Ed and her come back to the table and the three of them have to pretend to be really happy for them. Eve just decides, fuck it, I'm going to get drunk. (laughs) So Eve's obviously not taking this amazingly because she is in love with Ed. So what is the best way to deal with this after you've left the pub? It's to text a younger man, a barman from down the road, who you know will still be awake and that you've had flirty eyes with to go and have some meaningless sex. So she goes to his bar where he works to meet him and we're getting Eve's thoughts about this as she's walking there. And this is where the pop culture references start coming in. It says, Susie calls him baby Yoda. Susie always whispers, the child, he should be with his own people whenever he and I finish chatting. Hello, amazing culture reference of the Mandalorian. Yes. (laughs) So baby Yoda, and I think he's 24. So he lives above the bar. You know, it's all gross. Whomst among us hasn't gone home with the bartender? Dirty sheets, dirty apartment. But he has a man bun and a tight bod. Eve's drunk and sad. She's already second thought in it, though, because it's not in her character. But, of course, they don't end up having sex. No, because Eve has a horrible, horrible thing that baby Yoda just can't get past. So he can't get hard for her. He informs her that he doesn't do hair down there. It's a massive turn off for him. So baby Yoda's a dick. What a fuckwit. So she finally goes home. Eve goes to bed and then we have a flashback scene where we get to meet them all in high school the first day that Susie and Eve met Ed and Justin by meeting in the common room together and they instantly clicked and they knew they were going to be friends forever. And in this flashback scene, we find out why Eve has unrequited love with Ed They were all leaving for university and on the last day it was just Ed and Eve who were still left in town. They hung out for the day, getting even closer than they had been, and then Ed admits to her that he's in love with her. And it's kind of this thing, it's like, well, you're leaving now and he's like, I'll write to you. What happens when you write to someone? Letters go missing, guys. Ed goes to university, writes her this long letter, confessing his feelings, all the ways that he's in love with her. So the same day she gets that letter, she writes him back like a five-page, pouring her heart out, I'm so in love with you two letter, sends it same day that she got his letter. Never hears from him. But they're texting. But their texts are just really about nothing. They're really surface. And then when they all come home together for their first break, she's now, why didn't he respond? Oh, my God, did I freak him out? Eve finds out from Susie that Ed now has a girlfriend. From their first semester away at uni where they confessed their love and then Ed never wrote back to her, he got a girlfriend. And then this is where the miscommunication trope gets revealed. Ed's kitchen at university had a leak, a pipe busted, everything was wet. And so they threw out everything that was in the kitchen, including a pile of letters. Ed hadn't expected Eve to write back so quickly. So Ed never knew that Eve had responded to him. So... Ed just moved on within a couple of months, met a girl, and that was it. Typical man. They had mobile phones. Like, this could have been avoided. E never got over it and so has just continued to be in love with Ed. And Ed stayed with Hester. They never resolved their feelings. It was like, yeah, I felt this way about you. Yeah, I felt this way about you. Oh, well, I'm with Hester now. Hmm. So we need to talk about Ed. We obviously know Eve's feelings towards Ed. So Eve hasn't just been in love with this guy for 16 years for no reason. Eve has held on to that love because Ed gives her little glimpses of hope and feeling. You know, his touch lingers. They look at each other a little bit too long. He'll say things. There's little hints and little crumbs of his feelings towards her that keep her holding on. Yeah, and it's all tangled up in the fact that they are a best friend group, so they are significantly enmeshed and entwined in each other's lives. Yeah, exactly. Next morning, it's Friday, unsurprisingly, wakes up for work with a cracking hangover. 
Yeah, like we've all done that. Thursday nights feel like Fridays. It's so close to the weekend. We've all had a Thursday that's got out of hand and you have to go to work so sick the next day. Yes. So she goes to her mediocre job where she writes taglines for fun things to do in the area. And she's got a thousand missed calls from Ed. She does not want to talk to Ed. Finally answers though. And Ed has to tell Eve that on Susie's way home from the pub, she was hit by a car and has died. Yeah. This is an extremely hungover 34-year-old woman who is receiving this news on the street. She cannot believe what she's hearing. You know then that this book is going to take a whole different path than you originally thought it was going to. Oh, absolutely. Unimaginable grief and tragedy that's happening to Eve. We're with Eve as she pretty much goes through all the emotions of processing what she's just heard while she's standing on the street, which is anger and disbelief to start with. Why would you say this to me? This isn't funny. This isn't a joke. What are you talking about? We just saw her. Why would you say these things to me? This can't be true. And then Ed's like, you've got to come to the hospital because we're listed as her emergency contacts. Susie's mum is dead. She has a brother that lives in America who she's not close with. And she's got her dad in Nottingham, but her dad has been diagnosed with dementia. So he's not really equipped to deal with the fact that Susie has just died. And this immediately for me just brought in all these feelings like you're 34. What do you do? How, where is the grown up? When does the grown up arrive? Who's supposed to take care of this? Where is the more adulting adult who's going to turn up and deal with all this? We're kind of just going through the emotions of the day of a death. They go back to Eve's house. You know, I really resonated with the fact that Eve, when she's talking about we need to eat, but how do you just like order takeaway or go and cook something when this has happened? Again, this is where Vari's writing is so smart and so clever. That conversation is brought up because Susie's mum died when she was 30. So Susie had already been through this incredible amount of grief. And what Susie had said to Eve was, the thing that really threw me was just the boring, mundane things you have to do where you still have to say, what do you want for dinner? We should eat. So Vari has very cleverly weaved Susie throughout this story because how Eve deals with her grief, how Eve learns about her grief, a lot of it is throwbacks to conversations that she had with Susie. So one day after finding out that the love of her life is engaged, they've identified the body at the hospital and Ed and Eve are back at her place waiting for Justin to arrive because he works at an aged care facility. He couldn't just leave. So they're waiting for him to turn up so that they can all grieve together. They've got Susie's belongings and then they realize, oh, wait, shit, she's got a brother in America. Someone needs to tell him. So she finds his number in Susie's phone and gives him a call. So this is where we're first introduced to the brother, Finn. He's really short with Eve. He already knew that she had passed away. The doctors had called him and he kind of just asks her to, can he, she start dealing with the funeral stuff? He'll come over as soon as he can. He's just got to, you know, wrap some shit up in New York. While they're all together talking about what they need to do, Ed says, Susie, she had this life for herself. If I died, I would want one of you to come in and just like clean up the house before my family goes in. So Ed and Eve agree that they're going to go and just, you know, look for contraband. A little sweep. Exactly. Anything slightly just like incriminating that you would not want your family to have to deal with. And I immediately thought, well, the idea of having my friends snoop through my shit while I'm alive makes me want to die. I'm cringing so hard. If I die, yes, please come in and clear out just anything that you may find. I'll do that for you, Loz. Thank you. I'm so sad now. You're really getting this from Eve. She's shell-shocked. Her whole life of how she thought it was going to go has changed. Her best friend is just gone. And so they go to Susie's house now. She was a proud and private person, Susie. Eve remembers that Susie had talked about keeping diaries when she was younger. And Eve's like, I'm just going to have a look and see if they are here. Because if they are, I'll grab them and take them because Susie would hate the thought of anyone reading her diary. 
So they find the diaries and a little bag of cocaine. Eve is not going to read the diaries, of course. She's just keeping hold of them safe. So there's diaries and then there's piles of letters. I'd be so tempted though. Em, let me tell you now, I have a box of like mementos, old diaries and things like that. I already know that I would absolutely read your diaries. So I want you to know that even though I would hate it while I was alive, I would totally understand and accept the fact that you're like, uh, I am reading every single page of this. I'm really glad you said that because I couldn't not read them. Like, I love that shit. Now, I would never tell anyone what I found inside them. No, I'll keep that secret. But I am reading every last page. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good to know. You can read through every embarrassing, angsty, emotional thought that I had as a teenager. It's all there. (laughs) I unfortunately don't have anything. What? Mm, I had some diaries when I was younger, but I threw them out years ago because I just didn't want anyone to ever read them, I think. Mm -hmm. Now looking back on them, I'm really glad I've kept them now because I am being completely uncensored in my thoughts and feelings. And so to be able to step back into the mindset of me when I was 17, 22 is really, really interesting. And Yeah. And when I think about it, a couple of episodes ago, read an excerpt from a letter from the 1800s. Like I'm not necessarily saying your letters will be in a hundred years time, a part of history, (laughs) but you know, like people's thoughts and feelings and letters, we read them now. So that could be a part of history, lots. (laughs) Yeah. Like who knows? Like James Joyce probably didn't realize that we'd be talking about his fascinations of farting. Yeah. I think it's better if you don't know. (laughs) So we just kind of going through the stages of organizing the funeral. And so Finn, the brother, we get to know a little bit more about him now. So he does come back to the UK. This is where we meet him for the first time. Yeah. So he comes to meet the three of them in a cafe just to go over what they've arranged so far for the funeral. I should have known when he was introduced as good looking that he'd be more significant than he was, but I didn't the first read over. Wow, so you did not think that he was going to be significant at all? In the first meeting. I thought he was going to play a part, but I think I was still on even ed. He's beautiful and chic Mm -hmm. and he's standoffish and curt and rude and really can't wait to get away from them. And I was like, he's the villain. We have Hester the girlfriend villain. Here is the actual villain of the story and he's going to be the one that's going to drive all the events that will push even ed together that was my first thinking about him and this is where we start to see some more flashbacks and we find out snippets of what Susie had previously told eve about finn she's not she was not close with her brother even in Susie's phone he was listed as my wanker brother Mm-hmm. We're getting a really bad picture of Finn. We know that he left very young and separated himself from the family. As you said, her and Susie had been best friends since they were in primary school. And Eve has this flashback memory of when they went out riding bikes when they were really little. And Eve had seen kissing on the TV the night before. And even Finn were kind of riding together and Susie and another friend had ridden off ahead. They stopped to take a break and Eve said something like, have you heard of kissing to Finn, who's four years older than her, I think? And he's like, yeah, I've heard of kissing. And she's like, do you want to do it with me? And Finn's like, yeah, all right. So Eve's first ever kiss was with Finn, but he was like this much older brother. That was pretty much her only real interaction with him as a kid. And then after that, it was maybe when she came over to their house, he'd answer the door and just be like, Susie's upstairs. Yeah. And then he moved away from Nottingham as soon as he could. So he just wasn't around. And she had a brief encounter with him at Susie's mum's funeral. So we don't have a good impression of him, except that he's good looking. So it's a week after Susie's death when they've met to plan the funeral. And then Eve just has this idea that she needs to go and check on Susie's dad. Eve has such good memories of Susie's dad. He was always welcoming to her. He always looked after her. Susie was daddy's girl. Eve knows that Susie would want her to go and check in on her dad and see how he is. So she goes to his house, which is their family home that Eve had been to her whole life. And when he opens the door, 
He knows who she is, but in his mind, they're at university. Yeah, and Susie is still alive. And she just goes along with his thinking. And because Justin works in an aged care home, he's sort of told them before about it's just better to go along with what they're saying and also but just have a little snoop around and make sure they're looking after themselves. Yeah. So while she's there and Ian, Susie's dad, is making her a cup of tea, the doorbell rings. And he goes to answer the door and Eve can kind of hear Ray's voices and being like, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're talking about. You've got the wrong house. Eve goes to the front door and Finn is there at the door. The dad, Ian, does not know who he, who this man is. Finn's trying to get in and Ian's like, my son doesn't live here. My son is away in America. Finn sees Eve there and is like, what are you doing here? And Ian, Mr. Hart says, oh, do you know this young man? And so Finn kind of gets entrance into the house by Eve saying that she knows who he is. Yeah, he's not happy that she's there, but at the same time, his dad doesn't know who he is, is comfortable with Eve being there. So he kind of needs Eve. They just say that it's her boyfriend because the dad just kind of assumes that, but he kind of has no choice. He is big mad. And Eve's like, I'm here because it's Susie's dad. I'm here to check up on him. I'm here to make sure he's okay. What is your problem? Yeah, this has got a huge chip on his shoulder. He realizes that Eve has been to Susie's place and wants to know if anything's been taken. His next of kin is actually Finn. He gets a vibe that the house might have been tidied up and he immediately accuses Eve. And he stupidly just goes, oh, yeah, I took all her diaries and letters without thinking. And he immediately is like, give them to me. They are mine. She argues against that. And then he's straight away on to, I'm going to get lawyers involved. So, of course, this is the foreshadowing for Eve to go home really upset. Now, she makes her excuse. She leaves Susie's dad's house. She just goes to like open the box and because now she's really freaked out. So she wants to make sure that the box of stuff is still there. And when she flips the lid off the box, her eye catches on one of the letters that the envelope is ripped and she sees her name. Yeah. What do you do when you see your name? You, you have to read it. Like someone is talking about you and it's obviously not Susie that's written the letter because she's in her possession. So someone has written to Susie about Eve. So she reads the letter. And it is a big letter. Oh, boy. So it's actually from a friend of Susie's from her university days. And it is one of the worst things that probably Eve could read. While they were at university, Ed and Susie had hooked up one night. And Susie was talking to this friend, probably asking whether or not she should tell Eve about it. She's saying, don't tell Eve. You and Ed just need to pretend it never happened. So Ed is actually in a relationship himself, so he has cheated on Hester. What we need to know in this part is Eve doesn't think anyone knows that she still holds a flame for Ed. Yeah, and she never told Susie about what had happened. But from reading this letter, it sounds like Susie does know something because why else would she say, don't tell Eve about you hooking up with Ed? So this is blow after blow for Eve reading this letters. First of all, her best friend slept with the guy she's been in love with her entire adult life. They never told her about it. And not only that, what she inferred from the letter was that both Susie and Ed knew that she, that Eve was still in love with Ed. And so Eve sitting here now at 34 and has realized that for the last 16 years, Susie has known that she is in love with Ed and they never talked about it. The way this is written as well, it's so gut-punching. Like you feel how Eve feels in this moment. Even talking about it now, I can still feel it. And it's written so well. And she feels cheated on, even though her and Ed weren't together. That dawning realisation that the person that you thought was the closest to you in the world had all these hidden depths away from you. And now there's no resolution. There's going to be no way for them to deal with this. This huge bombshell has just been dropped. How are you feeling about Ed right now? I really thought this was a going to be a second chances at love trope. Ed and Eve were, you know, ships in the night, missed each other, didn't get their chance at love. Yeah. 
did not see this coming either because we haven't had the funeral yet. I was like, Ed, fuck that guy. You are dead to me. Yeah, and you're feeling for Eve here too because she's now so alone. There's so much going on for her. And it's this beautiful layering of emotions and she says it in Eve's thoughts. There's no one I can talk to about this. I love Justin and vice versa, but he's still Ed's best friend. The only person I could tell this to, my best friend, is firstly the person who's hurt me and secondly dead. Yeah, what a sentence. I am crying hot, angry tears at this point. I can't explain how much emotion this book made me feel. I don't actually often cry in books, but this one I really was. There's so much going on in this book. Like you're you're really, you're hurting reading this book, but like in a good way, (laughs) like that's good writing. That's a good book. Eve finds out that it was about 10 years ago that this happened. So not when they were 18, it happened when they were 24. You'd be questioning everything from that point on. Yeah. How can you trust any of your memories? Yeah. There's a lot of unanswered questions. We have the funeral. She turns up there and Justin's the first person she sees. He gives her a hug and just says, you're okay. Hang on to me. Yeah, and she's not sure if she can trust herself telling Justin too because she's also not sure, 100% sure that he actually didn't know himself. And there's this really interesting moment where she's looking now at all of them through different eyes as they're waiting to go into the funeral. And I want to read you this passage because this is where I think we see Vari at her best. All right, you, Ed says tenderly, and I submit to an embrace blank-faced, thinking, don't bother with your faux-adoring chummy bullshit. It's been a long, long con and it's over. Hester starts fussing with Ed's tie under his overcoat and I think, a strange aspect of my new knowledge is that I may revile her, but she's the one who's been wronged here more than me. Ed and Susie only broke unspoken promises to me. He fully cheated on her. And I think this is another part of where Vari edges close to some classic plot points in books and but doesn't quite go there. When I was first reading it, I thought, oh, are they going to become chummy now, like Hester and Eve? And it didn't feel right. And they don't. Hester is still annoying and Eve still doesn't like her. So Eve's obviously been standoffish throughout the funeral and then, of course, the wake afterwards towards Ed and he's picked up on that. Eve just needs some space from it all. So goes out into the balcony, takes a whole bottle of champagne with no glass. Love it. But of course, Ed follows her out there to ask her what's going on. She just says to Ed, I know you slept with Susie. Classic male tries to deny it initially and then kind of admits it. So they have a bit of an argument about this. Hester walks out. And sees them fighting, doesn't hear quite what they're fighting about, and is a bit like, what's going on? They just sort of say it's, you know, oh, just, you know, the stress of the day, funeral admin. And this is the part where I realise this is not where we're going to turn Hester into a best friend. Because what does Hester decide to talk about at the wake? How she was going to have to find a replacement because she had asked Susie and Eve to be her bridesmaid. And so she actually uses the words, replacing Susie as a bridesmaid and it's so insensitive everything she's saying and Eve has had enough and snaps and yells back at Hester and Hester's so affronted with why she would have a problem with this but who of course witnesses this whole scene was (laughs) unbeknownst standing in the shadows the whole time has been Finn It's just this interesting scene because, again, at the wake, he's come and said to her, I've asked you for those letters. If you don't give them to me, I'm going to get lawyers involved. So they've already had a confrontation at the wake. And so now the fact that he's just witnessed her confronting Ed and then the Ed and Hester thing, whatever that is, she looks and is like, can I help you? And he's like, well, you can take the positive from that. And she's like, what's that? And he says, Doesn't sound like you'll have to be a bridesmaid anymore, which is a classic and devastating line. So I think this is my light bulb moment where I was finally like, oh, okay, (laughs) who is this Finn guy? Maybe he's not as evil as I thought he was going to be. 
Eve goes and visits Susie's dad again. He's very confused. She has more texts with Finn and more interactions with him where he's really threatening her with legal action. And Ed comes over to talk to her about what happened with Susie. Eve doesn't want to see or talk to Ed, but she needs to know what really happened between them. And so he comes over. He really tells her honestly what it was. And it was dodgy bathroom sex at a nightclub. They got drunk, they got high, they fucked in the bathroom at the nightclub and then they went back to Susie's place, kept partying, woke up in the morning, hungover and full of regret. This is where Vari comes in with another pop culture reference. She says, someone who can fumble with a fly on a trouser can remember who her best friend is. Alcohol doesn't erase who you are, it gives you license. We didn't knowingly hurt each other. We would never have competed for the same man. No Becky with good or bad hair could have come between us. (laughs) It was beyond the realm of possibility that any man would come between her and Susie. That's how tight they were. Yeah, Eve really pushes Ed on why Susie specifically said, don't tell Eve. And Ed is reluctant to tell her at first. I think he's a bit embarrassed. But then he spills and it's because... Susie said, Eve is in love with me. He's now that hapless, just goes along with the flow. Things have been easy for him his entire life. And it was just, everything's just been convenient for him. Eve is really upset and she needs to do something. She's had a couple of drinks. The only thing that she can really think to do to save herself, future hurt, and still to protect her friend is to destroy the letters and the diaries. Yeah, I'm so in two minds about this. I don't know if I could destroy someone else's words like that. That was her last bit of connection to her. And I know she wasn't going to read them. And I know she read one and it changed everything for her. So there might be more things that she could read that could change everything. But yeah, I just really wish she didn't destroy them. If it was me, I'd be like, nothing else can hurt me now. I've been hurt in the hardest way I can. I would want to consume every other thing that she had written and to keep that part of her. But instead she dumps them all into her sink and turns the tap on. Yeah. This is the pivotal moment, right? What is possibly going to happen to propel us into the next half of this story? And this is where Vari completely enters the realm of romance tropes. So what happens is Eve decides to go and visit Susie's dad again because he wasn't at the funeral. He can't be made to understand what's going on. When she turns up at his house, he's not there, but who is? Finn. And Finn is big mad because the cleaner found a note from the father saying, I've gone to visit my brother in Scotland. Because the last time that Eve was there, he was talking about his brother and going along with the conversation, Eve's like, you should should go visit him if you're missing him. I'm sure he'd be happy to see you. So now their father with dementia has disappeared. He's left his mobile phone behind and Finn is making Eve feel guilty like it's her fault that their father has disappeared. So what do they do, Em? What's the only thing they can do now that her father's disappeared? They've got a road trip to Scotland together. The dad only knows Eve, not Finn, so it would be weird for Finn to try and get him to come home from Scotland. So Eve needs to go naturally. I call this book a book of two parts. We have Act 1, which is about the friends, Susie passing away, the loss and the grief. And then Act 2 is getting to know Finn, the romance, and the coming to terms with grief. So Eve agrees to go on this road trip. She actually tells Ed that she's doing this and he is so against it. And then she agrees to check in every day at 9pm with a text to him. Ed all of a sudden is acting like the jealous white knight protector. I am yelling internally. You don't get to be jealous and possessive of Eve after what she's just found out about you. And Eve stands up for herself and basically says the same thing. So they're stuck in the car together. They have six hours of driving to Edinburgh. They start talking. They start getting to know each other. Yeah. But they're just starting to talk about little normal things. Where do you live in New York? What do you do there? What is it like? Do you like living there? 
and he starts to make little comments that suggest that his life here had not been so rosy. Yeah, so we're starting to pick up that maybe we don't know the full story of their family dynamics. And then we start to find out about Eve too, because up until this point, we really know nothing about Eve except how she is inside her best friend group. And so Finn starts asking her questions because Finn is a therapist, as we find out. And I think Eve is actually starting to get to know herself as well outside of this because their friendship group is really tight and you know Eve is kind of one of four and then break it down one of two her and Susie so this is Eve getting to know herself as just herself with this strange good looking man so in order to look for his dad they just start seeing the slights because the dad did write in the letter that he was going to go to the tourist spots and this is where they used to holiday when Finn and Susie were children so it's where their dad is from he's probably going to go back to familiar places. So they check in at the fanciest hotel in town because that's where they stayed when they were kids. We don't get a only one room in the inn, unfortunately, but I'm okay with it because it would have been so unbelievable. (laughs) They decide to get on one of the hop-on, hop-off buses and do a tour of the city going to all the big places that you would go and see. And they start to get to know each other because they're a little bit more relaxed. Like they are there because they've got to find the dads, but they're also relaxing around each other. There's a restaurant that they always went to. So they decide to go there for dinner and it's a bit of a posh restaurant. So Eve dresses up all nice and it gets a really datey vibe. They get there. Dad's not there. Restaurant people haven't seen him. So they'll just enjoy themselves having dinner together. Even her little goth sad doll state has this beautiful dress on that is very complimentary of her little figure. I loved this line. The last time I wore it, Justin accused me of planning to marry his dad and steal his inheritance. It's a great descriptor of the dress. I immediately had a picture in my head. You know, Finn's really nice and funny and they're having a really great time. But Ed hears about this evening. Fucking Ed. Throughout this, she's having to do her check-ins at 9pm every night with Ed, which is very controlling behaviour. And then she's like, oh, you know, we went out to dinner. Ed's getting really irate because he's like, this is sounding like a date. Cry me a fucking river, mate. I'm already so done with him. Stop messaging. You're dead to me. But she's starting to feel similar feelings to you, Loz. Like she's starting to see a bit clearer. And she does explain the whole situation to Finn over a nightcap. And he's like, this guy has just been holding on to you. You're that possibility. You're that second choice. You're that one waiting in the wings if something doesn't happen. He's just holding on to you and giving you little glimpses of hope. And he says this line that resonated with me so strongly. He chose to start things with you. He chose to let them drop. He chose to start dating someone else and let you find out the way that you did. And he chose to cheat. Yet he doesn't own those as choices, but as pieces of bad luck. Beware the nicest guy in the room who doesn't think his failures are the same as everyone else's. It is such a perfect description. We all know those guys. Just because you're a nice guy doesn't mean you're a good guy. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was interesting about this scene as well was Eve says to Finn, I just still don't know why she did it. And Finn says, well, I think I might know why she did it. Jealousy. And Eve's like, she never fancied Ed. Why would she be jealous and so want to take him? And Finn says, jealousy of you, not of him. Jealous of the feelings that you had between yourselves. He kind of gives us this insight into Susie, which is that she was this great person But she had never been in love in the way that she clearly saw that Eve was in love with Ed. And so his suggestion is that she was kind of like testing the waters to see if she could understand why Eve felt that way. For a person who we're designed to hate and who we know that Susie disliked, he's offering this really beautiful and kind insight into Susie's behavior. It's a gentle and loving inside of why she did this really hurtful thing. 
these two are really connecting. They're talking about deep issues here. They're getting to know each other. Eve's getting this idea that Susie lived this very charmed existence at home with her family, but Finn did not have that same experience. Eve goes back to her room and she's had a couple of drinks. And so she sees a foreign number ringing, no name, and she decides to pick up. Yeah. So she's got a big ex. They were together for five years. He needed to move away for his job. And Eve decided that she wasn't going to move with him and she was going to stay in Nottingham. So they broke up. He is the one that's calling her. So he's seen on Facebook or something that Susie has passed away. So he's just ringing to check in to make sure Eve's okay. So Mark is a writer. He's a journalist, I think. Mark kind of realized that she was never going to fully commit to him, even if he didn't know why. He has since got married, had kids, and is very happy. Hearing from him, talking about Susie, reminiscing, having this person call her to say how sorry he was, this brings up all of her grief, like when it had just happened three weeks ago. Yeah, so she's upset. And, of course, that is the time when Finn calls her room because he doesn't have an iPhone charger. Which he's only just discovered. Very convenient. So he notices that she's upset on the phone. So he, like a good guy is, comes to her room to check on her. So he's now wearing like a white T-shirt and grey sweatpants. (laughs) Thank you, Ari, for that image. Grey sweatpants, now and forever, yes. (laughs) She falls into his arms and is crying hysterically and he is this sweet and gentle person who, like, puts her on the bed and just lets her cry it out and makes her a cup of tea and is just sitting there and holding her and being with her. And, you know, they start talking about Susie and how they're both feeling. It's this really lovely moment and it is a moment. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're both laying on the bed looking at each other and she thinks he's going to go in for a kiss, but he backs away from the kiss and leaves the room. I was disappointed. Oh, hello. We were in prime territory to get some smut happening here. So she's a bit embarrassed the next day. Yeah, she's feeling quite vulnerable and she's thinking like, oh, God, he doesn't like me like that. Now, the scene that happens the next morning came out of nowhere and they're meant to be meeting down in the lobby and Finn is punctual. He's usually there before they have to meet, but he's not arrived. So she gets a bit concerned, heads up to his floor that he's on and there's a pretty much naked Finn in the hallway. He's answered the door in just a towel and then got locked outside with the towel getting stuck in the door tiny square of the towel covering his junk in the front totally diffuses the tension and nervousness that she was feeling. And I, what I loved about this scene was it gave her the power back. Yeah, he's the one embarrassed now. He's the one feeling vulnerable and exposed. So she's laughing. He is mortified because he has been so buttoned up and well put together. And now we're seeing a very sexy, naked, vulnerable Finn here. He's feeling like an idiot and that's not a feeling he likes feeling. He likes being in control. So it really breaks the tension she was feeling about having to see him. So that day of sightseeing, they actually go to the village where his father grew up. They discover that he had actually rung the cleaner and told her that he had visited his sister, Trisha. So they decide to go visit this aunt. The family's actually estranged and Finn hasn't seen his auntie Trisha since he was a teenager when the family stopped talking. They go and see the aunt and the aunt is cold as fuck towards Finn and then starts making these comments like, you never cared about your family. You disappeared to America. You weren't even, you didn't even come back when your mother was sick with ovarian cancer. You only came for the funeral. You're only worried about your father now because you're the sole heir. So you're worried about your inheritance. Yeah, Trisha's a bitch, but she says some things that resonate a little bit with Eve and some questions she had about Finn. So Eve does start to second guess her now new found opinion of Finn. They leave her house, they get back in the car and Eve decides to pretty much confront Finn about what was all that about your mum? Why didn't you come home when she was sick? Where have you been? And he's getting his back up right, like they're having a fight about this. 
it's clear that Finn is really hurt by this. So that's caused now a rift between Finn and Eve. And they get back in the hotel, they walk in, and there's the dad just standing in the lobby checking out. <laughs> They've been searching all over Scotland for this guy, and then there he is. And he's like, oh, hi, guys, I'm on my way home now. And so they're kind of like, okay, well, nice to see you. So they just go back up to their rooms, pack their bags, and just decide to get in their car and basically follow him home. But if they didn't go, they wouldn't have caught feelings. Correct. Now they have this six-hour drive home together and it's subdued now because Eve has just made it known that she still, she doesn't trust him now. And if his whole family is saying that he shouldn't be trusted, what is she supposed to think? Eve decides to ask the question, you know, you can tell me it's none of my business, but why didn't your mum tell you that she was dying? Why is it that, you know, you only came back from the funeral? He's kind of heartbroken. He says, I guess because I was probably the last person that she wanted to see. And then I was only informed once she was in a hospice and dying. And by the time I got back here, she'd already gone. Eve's now like, this does not compute with my memories of that family. Why wouldn't she want you to know? And he seems really, really hurt by this. He pulls her luggage out. They have a quick hug and that's it. He leaves. Eve's very much like, I'm not going to see this guy again. This trip though, over a couple of days has made her see that this is a nice person. This is a good person, but this is a defensive person. This is a person who's been hurt. And so it's really confusing feelings for her. Now, Justin is having a birthday. We go to the countryside for the weekend for a couple of days. So it's Ed, Eve, Justin, and Hester, the four of them, the middle of nowhere. What could go wrong? (laughs) Things between Ed and Hester are off. They're being overly polite with each other. What I loved about this scenario is this is where Eve and Justin get their moment to really connect and share their grief with each other. Yeah. So Eve actually spills everything that's been going on to Justin. Justin did know about the hookup Mm -hmm. and they just have a really good heart to heart. Ed is acting like a dick in this holiday. So he's still angry that she's gone to Scotland with Finn and brings it up constantly. She's now more defending Finn. Yeah, so typical. You're like, this is textbook jealousy. They have dinner. Eve wakes up the next morning feeling kind of better about things because Justin now knows she's seeing Ed really clearly as well. Gets up, makes them all a big breakfast, and Hester comes down first. And so they kind of are forced into small talk together, but they're making friendly. They're being nice with each other. They finish breakfast and they decide they're all going to go for a hike in the countryside. They end up traveling too far. They don't know where they are. So by the time they get back to the house, everyone's nerves afraid, but Ed is still talking about Finn. And he says to her, what exactly went on in Edinburgh to turn you from the psycho brothers trying to embezzle a fortune to he would care, he's a sensitive model, slashy, quack, who looks great in patent meggings. Okay, I've had enough of this. Fuck this, Hester says, voice like a scalpel through the air, making everyone's hairs stand on end. Enough of what, Ed says warily. You're obsessing over her, Hester says, pointing at me but not looking at me. You're having or have had an affair. Am I right? She walked in on that argument with them at the wake. She knows that wasn't correct. So she actually brings that up again. She's like, what were you arguing about? So Ed just comes out with it that he had slept with Susie and that's what they were arguing about. And then does this like protection of Eve where it was like, and Eve was upset that I would have hurt you and I needed to tell you. Eve is kind of just standing there like, what is happening here? Hester pulls her engagement ring off her finger, throws it on the table and runs upstairs to get her bags and hightails it out of there. Yeah, so they have a conversation in the garden where they break up. So Hester's out of there. So now it's Justin, Ed and Eve left and and now it's awkward. But now Ed keeps trying to like have conversations with Eve yeah, and, and they finally do have a conversation. He wants to talk to her and he confesses his love 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to be pulled into my mess. I've always had feelings for you. I love you. I wish this had never happened. I can't believe those letters got missed. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like, it's always been you for the 16 years I've been with somebody else. And you know what? This is a great scene where Eve just pulls him up on his shit. She tells him how he's behaving and what he's been doing this entire time. She just lays it all out. And then, so they have this big conversation and then he's very sorry. He starts to see, oh shit, I have been doing these behaviors. And they decide to be cool about it for the rest of the weekend because, you know, it's Justin's birthday. I'm a little annoyed at how quickly that kind of resolved. I wanted her to hate Ed for longer. Yes, um, yes, she was way too nice and forgiving. We're not going to be friends after this. She's really all about like, I want to keep this friendship. This friendship's really important to me. And I'm like, seriously? And they just spend the rest of the weekend there, three of them, have a nice roast dinner, drink some champagne. Cheers to Susie. And so then Hester's left with the car. So they're stranded. They eventually find some Uber or some farmer to give them a lift and they make it back to Nottingham. Eve has been thinking about Finn constantly throughout this weekend and has been wanting to reach out to him, but at the same time, you know, a bit unsure of doing that. And the way back home, Finn texts Eve. And so they have a little back and forth. She finds out he's not gone home. He's still in the UK. And then they add little kisses to the end of their text message exchange. Eve's got a big smile on her face. Justin picks up on it and it's a bit like, yeah, get that. He's hot. Eve's like, oh, I thought I'd call around to your dad while we were in Edinburgh. I'd bought him some shortbread. And Finn's like, oh, well, if you're going to come over, like I might use that as my opportunity to, to go over there as well. Yeah, so they both want to see each other, so this is their excuse. So now things are like flirty again. In the text exchange, tells him everything that's happened, how Ed confessed his love to her, and he asks, did you confess back? And she says, I don't love him anymore. And he says, good for you, kiss. (laughs) We said at the beginning with Susie's death, we didn't really see this coming. I 100% did not see what was about to happen. We think it's all getting tied up in a neat little bow, but no. Vari has one more heartbreaking scene for us to go through. We still don't fully know why Finn had separated himself so much from the family. So they go to the dad's house. And Finn gets up to go to the bathroom and he comes back and says, where did you get that lamp that's in the hallway? Mr. Hart, Finn's dad, Ian, he's like, oh, I don't do any of the decor. That's my wife does all that. And this is really rattled Finn. And he says, oh, it looks like the lamp that was in the hotel that we stayed in, in Edinburgh. Now the dad is getting agitated and he's like, what are you implying? And Finn's like, oh no, I just wondered because can you remember where you bought it? And his dad says, are you calling me a liar? And it's clear now that his dad is not in a good place. And Finn's dad stands up and gets in his face and screams, I'm not a bloody thief. And he roars it. Finn steps back and he is not okay. He's like shaking and breathing weird. So Eve grabs Finn and they go outside into the backyard. And now Mr. Hart has kind of just like switched off his anger again and just gone to sit down and watch TV. So Eve's taking Finn outside because she realizes he's having a panic attack. She calms him down and just straight up is like, all right, are you ready to tell me the truth now? And he says yes, and then dips into this story that basically starts with the first time my dad beat me, I was six, maybe seven. Yeah. And then he basically just details that once a month, their dad would find some reason to get angry at Finn and would take him upstairs into a bedroom and beat him, did it in a way that he didn't leave obvious marks. And there was no rhyme or reason he would just take out his anger on Finn. Yeah. And he then says that he feels like the mum knew and just swept it under the rug. So that's why their part of their relationship was strained. And then when he was much older, about 20, he confessed everything finally to Susie and she just palms it off as being, oh, you know, dad just was disciplining you. You were a bit of a shit because he did. He started acting out as you do 
he tried to shield Susie from it. But of course, what that meant was she never had any idea. So the beatings went on till he was about 12, I think it was, but this had fucked him up. And so he was living in this house with his abuser where no one talked about it and where he knew his mother knew what was going on and said nothing. Yeah. And we find out that he had always kind of hoped that him and Susie would one day reconcile and have a big heart to heart about it. And obviously he never got that. And that's why he wanted the letters. He wanted to know if Susie knew. This is hitting Eve hard. She's like, all this time, you're 38. And ever since you were 12, you've been spoken about. Your whole family believes that you are the bad guy. Once again for Eve, everything that she thought she knew was thrown up into the air. But this time she has this person in front of her who has been nothing but honest with her and had been vulnerable with her. She now feels really protective towards him. And he's like, okay, I need to get myself together and then let's get out of here. Like, you can go. You don't have to stay for this. And she's like, I'm not leaving you alone for another moment with him. And he's like, look, I'm six foot tall now and he's senile. If he tries to take a swing at me, if he tries anything, it's not going to work. It's going to come out differently this time. I'm not in any danger. I was in shock, but I'm okay now. And she says this line, which just made me, oh my God, it made me cry because it was so sweet. I know I'm a pathetic protector and I'm wearing a skirt with dancing squirrels printed on it, but let me rescue you. I blurt half crying, half laughing. Ah, but you see, the thing is, Evelyn Harris, you already have. Burst into tears. I'm sobbing again for the 800th time in this novel. (laughs) He drives her home and they're having this kind of like orky moment in the car, like what's going to happen? I've got to go back to America. What are we doing here? And they're both clearly now head over heels. The only thing I have to say about this is we don't get any smoke. They decide you know, fuck it. We'll, we'll try, you know, we can work it out, travel back and forth for now. And and then they just kind of kiss. Do they even kiss? Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Then we jump to three months later. Yes. So this is how they wrap up the book. I like that. Obviously Finn and Eve are together and happy and, you know, they're doing the long distance, but it's working for now. Justin's met up with an old flame and got together with him. Ed's single, lonely, living in a shit flat. I'm okay with that. I'm like, yes, bitch. So they're actually going to trivia again. They never normally win. That's their thing. So obviously they win. And Finn's there. And Finn and Ed are fine. They were too happy family for me three months later. This wasn't a book about romance, but this had the absolute perfect romance ending. Finn and Eve are so happy together. They're making it work, splitting their time. She's about to go out to New York to spend some time with him. And they finally win at Trivia and their team name is Susie's Losers. And so then the book ends with the same scene that happened at the beginning of the book where she says, I dreamed about you last night. It's them talking. They're sitting at school desks and they're planning a holiday to Switzerland. It's this kind of moment of closure. She is going to love Susie forever. Susie is always going to be a part of her life. And Susie's always going to be a voice in her head. This scene ends, though, by Eve getting out her phone and texting Susie in real life. So much to discuss. Speak soon. I love you. And across the room, where Susie's phone is still plugged in, it lights up with the message. And I'm tearing up here because I'm glad that it ended with Susie. It wasn't about Finn and whatever. It was about her relationship with Susie, that the grief of her is never going to go away, but the love that she has for her is also never going to go away. I want to share one of the best descriptions that I've ever heard of grief. I have personally dealt with a huge loss, so I understand the process of grief. So Andrew Garfield, the actor that played Spider-Man, he talked about grief once and he says that I hope this grief stays with me because this is all of the unexpressed love, the grief that will remain with us until we pass because we never get enough time with each other, no matter whether someone lives until 60, 15 or 99. I just love that. Grief is the unexpressed love you have with someone. Let's talk ratings. So, Em, how many smooches are you giving last night? 
you know, I just love Vari's way of towing the line of tropes, but not fully going there. So you're fully surprised. Don't get me wrong. I love a trope filled book, but this book was just so unexpected for me. Like I did not see it coming at all. It was a bit of a different take than her older books as well. Like it's by far my favorite of her books. And it was by far the best book I had read in a long time when I first read it. And I was so looking forward to reading it again. It's a really hard rating. I I feel like I want to give it five, but there were a couple of little things, I suppose. It's a four and a half smooches, more of a 4.75. Fair call. I totally understand that rating. I thought I was jumping into this world of romance novels and I kind of thought I knew how they were all going to go. And this book floored me. I was so blown away by the exploration and care about around female friendships that this book is about. So probably not surprising. This book is five smooches for me. Now, leaderboard-wise, this is your second five smooch book. How is it that the person who doesn't traditionally like this genre of book is the one giving out all the five smooches here? I don't know what's going on here. We've entered some kind of Freaky Friday universe where we're constantly switching places. But yeah, so now if you look at my leaderboard for books, the other book that I've given five smooches is Red, White and Royal Blue. Yeah, how do you choose? It's easy for me. Everything I loved about Red, White and Royal Blue, it was sassy, it was fun, but it was smarty and it was just the perfect little entertainment. Last night was about so much more and was so deeper for me without being, and I just, it sat with me and doing the second reading of it this time, I still really connected to all those themes. So it's last night is on top. So it's now on top of both of our leaderboards. And I will say it's going to be hard to beat this book. We discussed a lot of themes today and We're talking about grief and we're talking about loss and we're talking about anger and trust and betrayal. As always, to end this episode, it's time for you to deliver us a sweet treat in dessert. What have you got for us today? So I'm keeping with my theme of men writing about women. Now, through researching this for the podcast, I have picked up on a little bit of a theme where some men believe that we have dual uses for certain parts of our body. One quote I saw after a post about this particular passage I'm going to read was that this is why women need pockets. So this is an excerpt from a book called Santa Fe Edge by Stuart Woods. Show me the money when I see the medicine. The woman went away and returned with two yellow pills. Valium, she said. See the writing? Ten milligrams, Barbara thought. Ideal. She retrieved the money from a capsule in her vagina and paid the woman. Now all she had to do was survive tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. To see what we're talking about next and to join the conversation, follow us on Instagram at Soulmates and Smut. 